Hey, beer nerds. Welcome to the podcast. Today is Thursday, May 19th, 2016. 14 breweries down and many more to go. Thank you all so much for uh, listening and subscribing and rating me on iTunes. It goes, it really does go a long way in, in helping me uh, attract more um, more breweries to come on and, and learn about their their story. Um, side note, I'm, I'm also procuring uh, sponsorships. So if anybody happens to know a business that would like to um, advertise with me, um, I'd be happy to talk to them about that a little bit more. My email address is molarmd at yahoo.com and my Twitter is molarmd. Okay, I'm joined by Leah Dinas. Uh, she is the co-founder and chief brewer at Apocalypse Brew Works, located right here in, in Louisville, Kentucky. Um, Leah, you, you all just celebrated your fourth anniversary, right? Yes, we did. So, founded in, in 2012, uh, May of 2012. Uh, did you do any? Did you do anything special with that? Yes, we did. Um, of course, we had you know the, the traditional cupcakes and things, but um, we released our watermelon crack, which is our summer seasonal. Um, People wait all year. They've been asking us for months. When was it going to come out? And so we released it on our birthday, and we sold a whole lot of it. We had two different bands come, and we had food trucks. And then on Sunday, we did a, a giant Jenga tournament, Ooh. which was a lot of fun. That does sound fun. Now you you have you've worn a lot of different hats in your life. Uh, you're you're your home brewer, certified beer judge. I've, I've heard some graphic designing is in there as well. What exactly is your background, though, and what were you doing before all of this? Oh, oh, well, if we go all the way back, my my bachelor's degree is in music. So after graduation, then I worked in the restaurant industry um, for a number of years, bar manager, bartender, waited tables, um, went back to school for art, graphic design, back up to Boston to get additional training for computer graphics, then came back here and um, still was doing some bartending, and in the meantime, uh, one of my bosses, he had bought the complete joy of homebrewing, hmm. and he bought an very game, and he goes, well, hey, Leah, try this beer, and, and I bet you'd be really interested in it, and I'm like, huh, so I bought the book, and I started making beer. And, you know, the first batches weren't great, but <laughs> some were okay, and it just sort of stuck with me. And then I kept making lots of beer and entering competitions, and then I started winning a lot of competitions, and then the, uh, the head of the beer judge certification program said, you know, you really ought to be a beer judge. And this was because, probably because I had one best in show hmm. at one competition, and then another competition he judged, I came first runner-up to best in show, and he goes, I wish you would study to be a beer judge. And I'm like, oh, well, that's like work. I really don't want to do it. I'm like, oh, okay, I'll start. Oh, my God, so hard, so hard. But I'm really glad I stuck with it. And now I'm a national beer judge. And, you know, through hours and hours and weeks and weeks and years of study and taking lots of tests. And then, I'm a, then I studied to be a mead judge. So now I'm a mead judge. And now what I'm starting to study is cider. Because they're going to have a cider judge. They're getting ready to um, release that exam hopefully in the next year or so. So I'm, I'm already starting to bone up on cider, ciders. Man, what, what, was, what was the first competition that you won? Or, or rather, what, what beer did you make that won the competition? Uh, I entered the Kentucky State Fair, and 
first one since it's kind of so sure. long ago. But I think it was, it was an, I don't know what it was, it was a dry stout and it came in third. And it was the first time I'd ever entered the steak fair here. Mm. And I was so thrilled because I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe I won anything, a ribbon at all. You know, it was the first thing I'd ever entered. Sure. So, um, so that made it pretty exciting. And then I just, kept me interested in the hobby and then um, entering competitions, not because I wanted to win, because you get a lot of feedback on your beer. Mm-hmm. And then you learn how to improve your beer, you know, how it compares to a classic style. Um, you know, competitions are, are great for those kind of things if you're trying to improve and hone in on a recipe because, you know, you're going head-to-head with a pretty defined style guideline and it's a it's a and some of the styles are, are it's a pretty small box you're trying to fit in other styles it's pretty wide but you know i was entering some of the styles that were, were pretty narrow so you really had to hit all of the points and then we're going head to head against other people who were doing the same thing as you okay so i i used competitions as a way to um judge myself as, as how well i was doing but as a way to learn all about the ingredients and all about the styles. So I just kept changing styles and then just kept brewing and then entering and then seeing how well I did. And, and it worked out for me. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, iron uh, iron uh, sharpens iron. What, what exactly made you open Apocalypse? How, how did that get started? Well, yet another story. Um, we were a bunch of us from our local homebrew club, the Loggers, the local area grain of texture research society. And we've all been in that group for a long time. It's been around for almost 30 years. You know, and I, I was not one of the first members by no means. The club was well established when I joined. Um, but there were a group of us that went out to the National Homebrew Convention in San Diego. So I was with my now business partner, Bill Kraut and his wife, and we were traveling around, and because they had a big rent of the car, and we were going to all these different breweries. And come to find out, a lot of these medium, big-sized breweries out in San Diego had started really small and then just grew. And I turned to Bill when we were at this one small brewery who had just sold their three-and-a-half-barrel system and were waiting for their 10-barrel system to come on. And they were also a homebrew shop, and they had really good beer. And I said, I said, no, we could do this. And he goes, yeah, we could do this. And Louisville didn't have a lot of breweries. So when we got back home, and I, we had another guy in our Humber Club that I knew was interested. So the three of us met, and we decided to form, have a brewery and form a company. Now, why, why Apocalypse? How, how was that chosen? Uh, how was that name chosen? Oh, God. See, I'm just full of stories. So here, here's the, I'll try to make it a, sh- a short story. So uh, my other partner is, is Paul Grignon and then Bill Kraut. Those are my two partners. And the three of us met, and we needed a name. So Paul and I come up with a long list of names, and Bill, the tall, quiet, dark type, but nothing. <laughs> um but he's like a mechanical genius, so I'm not going to complain. But anyway, um, and 
he's the brains. He's with the the, uh, the company type brains. He, oh. he knows all how to start corporations, companies, and everything. And with his background, um, so he didn't bring anything. So Paul and I were going through the names and we're marking them out. We figured that all the good regional names were taken. And we thought, well, let's think about a little bit bigger. And we're going through the names and putting lines to them, how we thought they worked or didn't work. And then Bill pops up and goes, well, what's the end of the world thing? And I looked at him, I said, you mean the apocalypse? <laughs> and he goes, yeah. And I happened to have a label in my pocket because the Kentucky State Fair was getting ready to happen. And I always would enter the uh, humorous label competition. Mm-hmm. And... I had made a funny label to the free mind is love zombies. So <laughs> I put the zombie on it and I put, I just put apocalypse pale ale. And um, I'm like, I said, you mean something like this? And he goes, well, yeah. And then Paul and I started going, oh my God, you know, that could probably work. We could come up with a bunch of different names and we looked and we thought, all right, that's the name. And so that's what stuck. And then it kind of worked out in, I don't know if you've been to our brewery, but you come in and it's really, in, we're in an industrial mixed use area, sure. um, residential and industrial. And of course, we're, we share space with Bill's um, mechanical contracting, plumbing, heating, and air space. Oh, okay. so we carved out part of that space as our brewery. And there's, you know, pavement, it's this urban beer garden, which is crazy. You know, there's chain link fence and razor wire and <laughs> big garages that his work trucks get in and out of. And, you know, very apocalyptic. You know, people think the razor wire is for show and it's, you know, that's to protect their work trucks, but yeah. it really worked with the thing. <laughs> so, so was that location on Melwood chosen because it was, as you said, Bill's, uh, part of Bill's operation? And it was part of, it was warehouse space, they weren't even. Oh, okay, excellent. And we, we looked for other stuff, and um, they just, they had, they had the opportunity to rent from them. It was going to work out in our favor to rent from them, money-wise, and so that's what we do. Yeah, absolutely. So we, rent, we rent their empty warehouse space and then have redone it, so it you know, painted it and things like that. Yeah, and, and continuing on with the, with the theme, I mean, you, you named your tap room the fallout shelter. Lots of we lots did. of nuclear warfare, I guess, in the future. Oh yeah. Well, you know, there's always going to be some apocalypse. It doesn't always have to be nuclear. You know, there's disease and there's um, meteorites and and all kinds of things that you know uh, and you know the rapture. All this stuff is is it all. There's always some sort of end of the world thing. So we sort of embrace all of those. And then the fun part is we've got that the solar hot water that. That was their pilot project for HW Craft on our roof. So we have solar hot water that's off-grid. So when the zombies come, we just lock <laughs> the gate with the razor wire, and we have, as long as there's water pressure, we will have hot water for as long as there's water pressure. Yeah, right. yeah. I was actually going to get into that's that. Awesome. I was going to get into that a little bit. Did you just say that the solar panels were already there when you opened? No, no, no. Um, this was, Bill had this, project in mind and when we opened the brewery that he wanted to do the solar hot water so this was and it was they built it and they had to pull it apart and rebuild it like three different times because we were getting too much hot water off the roof and it kept blowing apart yeah and in the summer oh my gosh it'll go up to 270 oh my god it's crazy yeah i mean that's way of boiling but you know the way it's set up um in the 
and the glycol system and everything, it can it can take that kind of heat. But it was getting over three hundred, and then he had to figure out a way to dial down the heat. What is so, uh what is what what is your least favorite envisioning of the apocalypse? Like, just what doesn't sound like a good time to you? Uh, fast zombies. Zombies, okay. Yeah, fast ones. Fast, Slow fast ones. Slow ones, good. I'm fine. I have this discussion with people all the time. I'm, I'm, I just don't believe in the fast zombies. I mean, if they're dead and falling apart, <laughs> that's, they're not going to be moving fast. They, they have to be slow, shuffling, decaying, rotted flesh. They, the fast zombies are just not it. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Now, um, I, I, I've made kind of a, I've put a focus on the history of beer, especially in this region. Um, tr- truthfully, learning history is why I wanted to start this podcast to begin with. Apocalypse and you, you recreated the Kentucky Common, and I've brought up the Kentucky Common before in, in a previous episode, the, the Bloody Monday episode that I had, but I'd like to hear from you on, on what you know about the Kentucky Common and what recipe you're using to kind of recreate it. Well, the interesting thing about Kentucky Common, it was just in this area, and it was all pre-prohibition, and all of it pretty much died out after prohibition. Um, we were fortunate through our homebrew club that we have the original, a copy of the original handwritten brew, dog, brew logs from the Erdl's Brewery, which happens to be like three blocks from our location. Yeah, exactly. It was, it was on Story Avenue, about a half a mile or so. It was uh, right. John Erdl's uh, Butchertown Brewery, right? Right. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, so we ended up with those brew logs, and then when we opened up our brewery, I knew that Ertles was there, and I wanted to find out some recipes. And luckily, the Conrad Sully, who's a member of our club and a local beer historian, he and Peter Dudig wrote that the Louisville Breweries book, hmm. and he had the recipes. So, and he came to me and said, "Hey, do you want to brew these recipes?" And I said, "Well, absolutely." I mean, I'd already been thinking about That's it. Special. So we collaborated, he and I collaborated on trying to bring this recipe back to life that no one alive has ever tasted. You know, no one, no one can remember what it tastes like. Um, there are some written accounts, a little bit of photography, um, but we have a true recipe and which makes it unique as because we've got the historical documentation to back it up yeah what, yeah absolutely how they made it and that's that's the fascinating part yeah and bear, and bear with me here I'm, I'm going to read read you a quote uh from the louisville landsiger it's it's a it was a german newspaper uh, at that time period um and i quote beer has conquered the world but one thinks that this refers to lager beer in louisville however the beer drinker can enjoy double pleasures as they can along with the lager beer enjoy the common beer a really great and increasingly popular product it is a healthful, light, pleasant drink that people in other large American cities are, for the most part, unaware of. Perhaps its popularity, which is always enjoyed here, would not be as great if, with improved brewing methods, better stuff had not become available. The best common beer in Louisville is the cream beer of the Butchertown Brewery. End quote. He's talking about the Kentucky Common there, and, and it's clearly, it was, it was the best, and it, and it really impressed him. So it's, re- it's, it's great that you found that recipe specifically, I think. Right, and, and from what we know of it, and the amounts that they were brewing, they brewed this beer every day, seven days a week, and they brewed 325 barrels a day. Goodness. Which, that is a lot of beer that they were getting 
in, brewing, and putting in the packaging within nine or ten days. Yeah, I mean, if, if I recall, I mean, the beer was still kind of fermenting in the kegs when they were shipping them out to, to the local establishments. It could be, but, you know, when we did our first batch, it was done. We had oh. it done and, and finished. Now, what they may have done a little bit of post-fermentation. There may have been, because there's, they, at that point, they probably weren't, you know, filtering. So they were going to be, and then, then they would probably be, you know, give it some a little bit of zip, you know, a little bit more um, carbonation. Yeah. Because they were barrel, they were um, putting it in the barrels. So. Yeah. But it's, uh, it's, uh, it's, it's fascinating. And then they did another handful of other beers, too, that we have in the logs. Do you have plans to make those? Yes. Excellent. Yeah. Okay. It's just kind of kind of kind of work in the time to do it, but um, yeah. But the, the nice thing about the common beer is it's it's. I think what they were they were German brewers. Okay. They were all German trained. Meticulous notes, temperatures, times, um, the type of grain, the type of hops. Now some of it we did have to interpret. But then going into agricultural records, we were able to make pretty sophisticated guesses of what they were using, hmm. so the type of hop they were using, um, and the type of, like, they use a crystal malt, and they use a black malt, and they use six-row. Um, they say New York hops. We know that had to be cluster. At that time, most of the hops in the United States were grown in New York, and they were cluster hops. So it was doing that kind of research. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, you already got into it a little bit. I mean, it was it was a special beer that they were able to make. You know, for, it, it, it was kind of cheap to make, to my understanding, and, and they could get it out very quickly, and they were making a lot of it. And it's, yeah, it's, and they didn't have to, and it was an ale. They didn't have to lager it, which, you know, it, it takes a certain amount of time. Um, they were probably pulling most of the water from the creek or the river. Um, there's probably somewhat, there's um, a little bit of carbonate water, you know, a little bit hard, so I think they use some of the dark malt to offset that. Yeah, and and it's it's also just a special beer only because it's, to my understanding, it's it's one of three indigenous American beer styles. The uh, the other being the the California Common and, and, and the Pilsner. So it's well, and actually, the in the beer judge certification program, there's there's another handful of beers, and actually, there's another there's a book that should be coming out in the next few months. It's just all on indigenous beer styles. Ooh. Okay, I'm, yeah. I'd be excited to learn more about that then. Yeah, Stan Hieronymus, he's writing it. He's a pretty well-known beer author. Um, he came and talked to uh, myself, Conrad, and uh, Dibs Harding, who wrote the style guideline for the Beer Judge BJCP, Beer Judge Certification Program, and he met with us. And then our cat lady all, all over his papers and got in the way, but some good pictures. Yeah. <laughs> our, our brewery, one of our brewery cats, because he's all up in everybody's business. <laughs> Now, now you mentioned that the Kentucky Common was most likely the, the water source for the Kentucky Common most likely came from from the nearby water source. Are you referring to Beargrass Creek? That's what I'm. That's what I'm gathering because Beargrass Creek runs right behind the old Earl's Brewery. Yeah. Now, yeah. now you've you've incorporated the Beargrass Creek uh, water into your own beers just recently, right? Yes, we did. We did a project um, with the Beargrass Creek um, Alliance. And um, with U of L, and they've got a a water reclamation project. Mm-hmm. And what they do is they've got it's called Beargrass Falls, and it's at it's right at the corner of Brownsboro. Story there's um, Karen Lynch Park, and you can see this 
giant, giant plastic container with a waterfall that they've built all the way down to the creek. And what they do is they pull water from the creek and then they run it in through a um, filtration system and then they have troughs that they let sit out in the sun and that to kill the bacteria. And then they, so it cleans up some of that water and it filters it back down into the creek down through the falls. Huh. Yeah. That's cool. It's, it's kind of neat. It's a, it's a neat project. You know, there's, there's some groups from UofL that work on it and, you know, it's a learning thing for them. You know, it's, Beargrass Creek is, is a challenge in modern times because, you know, all our sewer systems yep. <laughs> through downtown, everything, all the sewers, it's a combined sewer system, so everything runs from the street runoff, runs into the creek, so like, you know, pollution, yep. a lot of, there's a lot of pollution and, and things like that, but um, we did have the water tested by an independent lab. Because we weren't going to let anybody drink it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, when I first heard that story come out about y'all making it with the Beargrass Creek, Bear Grass oh, yeah. Creek water, I was a little concerned. But then I was thinking, okay, they're not going to, they're not going to be serving us anything, you know, you know, uh, that would be, you know, against sanitation policy. So that's, it's probably oh, best. Oh no, no, yeah. <laughs> if we start killing our customers, yeah, we'll, yeah. <laughs> we're not going to be very popular. Yeah, I, fi- I figured y'all were smarter than that, so I was giving you the benefit of the doubt. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. And what we, we did was they they brought us the water. They had to they they brought it through that water reclamation system, and then um, then we had it tested, and then we brewed with it. Okay. And, then, and luckily, in the brewing process, you go through boiling. Exactly. And then we also you go the dogs. Um, that's when uh, I house. Um, no, that's you know that's that's I I happen to live in Buttertown, so I I can actually I'm right, I'm really close to I can see the falls from my house, oh, which excellent. is kind of cool, and that's where I met David Wicks, who kind of headed up this project, just because I walked my dogs over there and and I saw them working and I was curious. Oh, huh, so, okay. Now, um, yeah, I um. I know you kind of got into it a little bit earlier, and I, you, you said that your uh, one of your co-founders was kind of the the brains, I guess, behind the the business uh, savvy portion of opening up the brewery. Did you have any kind of experience in that aspect before opening up a business or running a business? No. Okay. No, I didn't. Um, but he's opened up businesses in five different states because he does um, mechanical contracting work all over. So he has he in the past he's had to travel to do that, and every time you go to another state, you have to open a company. Right. To be able to work for for heating and air, you have to be able, you have to open up a company. So he's huh. had he's been running his business, you know, ever since he was a teenager. So he's he's had a lot of experience. But the three of us all have lots of brewing experience, and we've all won lots and lots of awards, and so that made us a good fit. Plus, we all. Um, for different styles of beer, which is really nice. Yeah, actually, actually I'm so sorry. I meant to get into this a little bit earlier about the Kentucky Common, but when there there have been a lot of other breweries uh, in, in this area um, that have made their own version of the Kentucky Common, and everybody kind of sure. has a different style and different take on it. Why why sure. why were there so many different styles and takes on it exactly? Well, everybody else is just making it up, <laughs> which is fine. Okay, well, I mean they are, but is that if you. But to back them up, historically, in the history of Louisville, there have there've been over like 200 breweries in the history of Louisville. And if you think about 
you know, the Schnefflerberg Rock. Well, it was like on every other corner because a lot of people in Germantown, there are a lot of bars. And a lot of people made their own beer. Yeah. You know, they did. So they may have had their own version of their common beer and sold it and with various recipes. Um, the only thing that makes us different is we just happen to have a real recipe. Anything else, you know, it's it's probably, you know, whatever you want to make. Okay. And there, there's a little bit of description, like you said, from the Anger. Um, there's some other descriptors about, you know, color. Um, you know, they was probably low gravity, it was light, it was refreshing, um, and things like that. So that's... Well, I mean, some, some local some local establishments are actually even making it into a sour almost, which, you know, I sure. I thought that and, was a little and, strange. Well, you have to think about, there were other breweries in Louisville that were making uh, a common beer. Sure. But cause even when Ertles burned, the Phoenix Brewery brewed their beer for a year while they were rebuilding the brewery. But they may not have been as sophisticated and they were, you got to think they were using, you know, pitched line barrels. Uh, okay. Some of them, and maybe some of them didn't. So if your sanitation's not right on, right. or if it gets, you know, if the barrel gets hot, things are going to get lactic, they're going to get sour. So, but maybe not too sour. Okay. You know, and then they, that's, that's what the difference is. You know, and I, I think for some people, that would be, you know, something that was, if you could get like a Berliner Weiss, you know, something that, that slight tartness. Sure. You know, and, and he used to say, you know, no, nobody wrote enough about it, and nobody is alive that can really tell us. But my hypothesis is what they were making just down the street from us, because they, because of the volume that they were making, they had to be selling a lot of it. Oh, yeah. And they were just selling it here. So my guess is the majority of common beer that was being drunk in the city was probably made by... Hurdles. Yeah, ab- yeah that's, I guess. that makes sense. Um, now, uh, you, you... just because of, just because I've studied what the, the the population was of the city, you know, and then how much they were making, and so yeah, yeah, that, and not, that makes sense. I'm not going to say that there there weren't other people making it and making it different and not making an enjoyable beverage. I'm sure they were. Sure. You know, it's just you know, we could all have the same recipe and it'll probably taste different because everybody's brew house is different. Okay, makes sense. Um, oh, yeah. Now, what what advice might you have for you know any any kind of home brewer that wants to make a leap in, into the industry as as you know operating their own brewery? Well, I get asked that a lot because people they just you know some my thinking is learn how to brew on home brew scale mm-hmm. and understand the process. You know, because some people come and they're like, oh, I drink a lot of beer and I want a job. And I'm like, <laughs> you know, that's, that's fantastic. You know, and like I write around a bunch of beer reviews, but they don't understand the process and the materials. And then the other thing I tell people is it's 80% cleaning and 20% brewing. And sometimes it's 90% cleaning and 10% brewing. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you know, and so... As, as much as it's, I enjoy it, and I'm really glad that I've made the to leap into it. But um, and then, you know, like I said, I I homebrewed for a really long time, and 
you know, I also, you know, entered a lot of competitions, got a lot of feedback, won a lot of awards. You know, I've won locally, regionally, and nationally as a homebrewer. So, and then, you know, being a beer judge and doing all that study, I mean, I've got, I've got a lot of, of a skill set, which aids me in what I'm trying to do. Sure. But for, for someone that really wants to start out, just, you know, learn how to brew. There's so much stuff that's available on the internet. Um, join your local homebrew club. Talk to people. Um, some people you can volunteer at a brewery. I mean, you may be the keg washer. Yep. yep. You know? It's something, though. But, but, you know, you get started. I mean, that's how I started. I started washing kegs. I started washing kegs and cleaning draft lines. Yeah. That's what I was doing. You know, because I wanted professional experience as I was doing study and and still brewing at home. So I've, I've had both worlds. I've had a couple different uh, people come on on the on the podcast before, owners and and founders. They've always kind of said the same thing that, you know, and not to diminish brewing itself, but they, they said that making beer is the easy part. The hard part is actually running the business. Do you find that to be true as well? Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, I got up at 4.30 this morning and went in, and, and I kicked, all I did was keg and clean today. Keg, I kicked beer, and then I loaded pallets, then I loaded the, the truck for when our distributor came, I loaded the truck, and then I went, and then I, I cleaned bright tank and then I had to stop the retail cooler and so I moved kegs all day I didn't brew any beer today yeah, yeah. <laughs> but you know all of that comes into it and then like tomorrow I'll sweep and mop the tap room and I'll clean the bathroom because that's part of it too take out the trash you know wait on the customers um yeah it's, it's, it's time to demand absolutely yeah or print material all these little pieces oh and then there's the taxes. You got to pay all the taxes. Mm-hmm. You got to pay federal taxes. You got to pay uh, local taxes. It's it's amazing that with how much paperwork there is. You know, you know, you track, you're tracking everything. And, you know, I'm sitting at the desk, you know, putting in all of our paperwork into the computer so we can then pull it back out so when we can pay our taxes and things. So. Okay. Um, going back to you know uh, being a being a certified beer judge. What was the most unique, and that could mean, you know, good, bad, whatever, uh, product that you've tasted? Um, actually, one of the most unique was I just, was it just last year, a friend of mine, she brewed a kombucha um, saison hmm. with, what did she put, like rose hips? Oh, it's strawberry. So strawberry. Strawberry, yeah. Strawberry it was like kombucha. strawberry, and I think, I think it had rose hips, but it was just saison and kombucha combined. And she made the kombucha, and she made the saison, and and had the strawberries, had fresh strawberries and everything, and um, it was a delicious beer. And then she won Best in Show with it, and this is up in Cincinnati at the Blotarian, um, hmm. one of the Blotarian, um homebrew competitions. But it's a, it's a really big one. So that that, that stands and, um, out, huh? It was it was just phenomenal. I've never had anything like it. And she's now a professional brewer. And now she makes saisons, and she's like up in Ohio somewhere. Ooh. But you know, she started out and was just home brewing like me, and then she went in and um, started working in a brewery, and you know, she kept brewing at home, brewing at home, and, and 
finally talked her way into a job, cleaning kegs, stuff like that, and then worked her way up. Yeah, that, that's And then that's she got just, recruited to work in another brewery, and so she's uh, now she makes saison for a living. Yeah, that, that's that's the fairy tale story. Um, now I'm, I'm going to get into this a, a little bit, and you know, don't don't shy away, but at the same time, if you like, if you feel like I'm pushing, uh, you can tell me to shut up. Do you see anything wrong with the Louisville beer scene, or maybe maybe the beer scene in general? Is there is there anything that could be improved upon? And, and what I mean by that is, you know, other other breweries, other styles being made, um, maybe some silly laws out there, out there, or, or even kind of the attitude of the consumers in general. Actually, I, I really love the Louisville beer scene. I mean, uh, my whole when I just was homebrewing, and I used to go on beer vacations and travel. You know, I always would go to national parks and, and then do look them around breweries. And I was always glad to come home because even in the early days, we always had good beer. Mm-hmm. And I think now we still have good beer. You know, the, the, the people, the craft, people care about the craft. Um, everybody's making different beer. They really are. And they're making good beer. And it's, I, en- I enjoy of course, I don't get out much, um, but <laughs> I'm always working. Uh, but when I do, or, or when I talk to um, my fellow local brewers at the other beer festivals, you know, I, I always enjoy trying their beers. You know, um, a lot of people are pushing the envelope, making different styles, um, and that's 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 good. You know, the whole craft industry is is moving that way. You know, it, it ebbs and flows. Um, there's a lot of breweries that are coming online. Um, um, I think Louisville, we're lucky that the people that have opened breweries, you know, had a good, solid brewing knowledge and they've got good people in place that are making good beer. Um, I know in some bigger cities than ours, um, they're, where their beer scene has exploded, talking to my fellow beer judges, mm-hmm. you know, there's some people out there making not a stellar beer, you know. They're just, and I don't think that they know it. But what's happening is the consumer is learning, and the consumer is learning what good beer is, and I think the consumer is the one who's going to drive how the beer market turns out. But right now, I mean, there's still tons and tons of growth. So, you know, more breweries are opening every single day. Yeah, yeah. More are opening and closing right now, so, um, and I'm really happy in this the local market, I mean, if we have a really strong go local, and even the whole state, you know, stay in the state. Yeah, we're, we're very proud of ourselves, generally. Right. And, and, and we should be, you know, we're all not barefoot and toothless, you know, we're, yeah. and, and we're making good beer, and, you know, it's not just baseball bats and, and horse racing, you know, there's, there's bourbon, and then now, and beer's now coming into its own, you know, it's, it's pretty young, I mean, beer's been made here for hundreds of years, but now we're we're getting more craft breweries. Yeah, I was I was speaking. Just um, that we used to have. I was speaking with uh, Phil Derner of, of Goodwood the other day uh, in the last episode, uh-huh. and, and basically that's that's exactly what he was saying. I mean, when you think of when you think of Louisville, when you think of Kentucky, you think um, the Derby, baseball bats, and bourbon, and then beer is a fourth. But it's starting to become you know, it, it, but before it wasn't even fourth, and it's, it's making its way up there in what Louisville is known for, and and I think that's pretty special. Yeah. And, the, and the, I think the restaurants here are helping 
a lot too because you know we've got we've we're really we're cutting ourselves out as a niche market for foodies and if we're we're becoming a travel destination for foodies um, who would want to experience bourbon who want to experience you know the, this our southern hospitality and you can't drink bourbon all day let's drink some beer and we get a lot of people from out of town you know that that just you know they just start surfing social media and then once they find us then what our what we do is we point them out to all the breweries we're pretty unique at least in Louisville that all our breweries are pretty close oh yeah yeah so it's easy for someone to do a beer tour here you know it's it's not even you know 15 mile radius or 20 mile radius and you can hit most of the local breweries even the ones over in indiana so that makes it that makes it nice you know i've been in other cities that are close to us and just to get from one brewery to the other it just takes forever yeah it's uh, driving it's it's pretty spread out in, in other local cities um mm-hmm. well hey is, is there anything going on at apocalypse uh, coming up that you'd like people to know about people that go to Poor Castle than, than Four Castle itself. Uh, just yeah, over, over yeah the years. it's fun. So, we, you know, our, and our job is just to make sure we have enough beer available. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, yeah. I'm, I'm sure I'm sure you'll get on that uh, tomorrow, probably, uh, working hard as oh, you yeah. do. Oh, yeah, we were, we, were, we were talking about that today. It's like, okay, do we have enough beer? And I'm like, okay, I, I'm like, okay, I'm backing out our schedule, and then, then, I, then I don't know how much. And then last year we had the bright tanks all filled up, plus the fermenters, and I'm like, We'll be all right. <laughs> that's that's great. What uh, what what are your hours during the week? Uh, we are open Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, um, five to eleven, Friday and Saturday, and one to seven on Sunday. And then, like I said, this Sunday because we're doing the Mighty Kindness fundraiser, um, that starts at four p.m. and will go till nine p.m. with the bands. Okay. So that'll be a little bit different for us. Yeah. But um, dogs are always welcome. People bring their kids, 
you know, like I said, it's a, it's an urban beer garden. You get to watch people watch the traffic back up on the expressway because <laughs> they're right there by 64. <laughs> I, I do spend a nauseating amount of time in your brewery, and I don't mean that necessarily as bad as it sounds, but I, I am sitting in traffic so often right next to you all. Oh, yeah, and, and nothing like being stuck in traffic, and, and it, it just makes you thirsty. Yeah. Oh, it's terrible. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> we encourage people to come, park in our parking lot, and then let the traffic die down, and then go home. Just wait it out. <laughs> well, Leah, I, I really do appreciate your time today and, and learning a little bit more about Apocalypse and the Kentucky Common uh, beer in general. Sure. So, um, thank you very much. I will, oh, yeah, uh, and I'm there a lot, so, you know, I'm, a lot of times I'm behind the bar, so... And I love talking to people about beer and beer education and um, beer judging and anything about beer. I just like talking about it. It's, I think beer is fun and it should be fun. Yep, absolutely. Thank you so much. Have a great week, okay? Okay, thank you. Thank you. We've come a long, long way together Through the hard times and the good I have to celebrate you, baby to praise you like I should.